may be seated. I remember many, many years ago when we were still meeting, maybe a few of you remember that, in the World's Fair building, which is round building here behind our student center. Many of you may not, that's where we were meeting in a World's Fair building that was brought out here in the early 80s. And so when I came, church was meeting there. And uh, in the auditorium at that time, there was no platform. There was just uh, lectern. And so one of the first things we thought we needed to do was to build a little platform. And the reason for that was over a few months, it started getting a little crowded in there. We had a choir that was actually the first two rows over here. And when they would sing, they'd kind of turn and face the people. And one time we had a family of three or four folks that were welcomed in and the ushers seated them, but uh, did not think clearly where they sat them. (laughs) And so when the folks got up to sing, these guests were sitting in the middle of the choir right there. I remember they had a kind of strange look on their face about that. You say, why do you say that, Sam, this morning? Because I feel like I've been seated in the choir this morning. How about you? We have all one big choir singing to the Lord and uh, lifting up his praise. Been wonderful. And I thank the team for doing that. And thank you for being part of this great choir this morning. Let's look at Ephesians chapter 6 that Fred read for us. I welcome all of you today, those that are joining us online as well. Let's talk about God's grace. How about that? A few days ago, I was speaking to a dear friend on the phone, and I've known him for about 15 years. Came to know him here at at the church. And a wonderful man of God, God's used in many ways. Rescued his marriage, really redeemed his marriage. I was blessed to participate in his oldest daughter's wedding. Now he has two other sons, a young daughter. Very, very successful in his career. But in the midst of the successful career, also being faithful to the Lord, leader in his church in another city. But how different his childhood was. Neglected by his family, actually finally taken from his family, placed in a series of foster homes. Last foster home that he lived in The family gave him a room in the basement, told him that's where he lived, not to come up into the rest of the house. Also had a rule that he had to live by. He had to be out of the door by 7 a.m. and he could not come back home until 7 p.m. And so he 
Used to, on cold days, rainy days, go to a nearby Burger King to get in out of the weather. Maybe try to do some homework. And the manager took note of him. Became concerned about him. This manager gave him a job working there. Helped him with his schoolwork. This manager helped him then after he graduated to go to college. And then eventually on to graduate school. And finally entering into a very successful career. Now I think about that. I thought about that this week. In light of this passage. A neglected and mistreated child. A concerned Christian. Rescued and redeemed by God's grace. Life turned around as a teenager. Now, devoted husband caring father, faithful children of his own. That is God's generational grace. God can change generations. By one life into another life. Generations to come are changed. And that's what I want us to have as our theme this morning. God's generational grace. God's generational grace. We are in a series, if you're our guest this morning, it's Faith and Family, the Gospel on Display. Because, my friends, we need to remember the power of the gospel, right? God's grace is powerful and the gospel of Jesus Christ is real and life-changing. But let's remember something about the gospel. The first mission field for the gospel is in the family. The first congregation is in the home. And the greatest training and sending Ministry for the kingdom and all the world is a Christian home. You see, there's the power of God's spirit that we're thinking about to redeem families. No matter what the direction, no matter what the dysfunction, when God intervenes by his grace, everything changes. The old is made new. And what looked what like it could never be becomes a reality through the Lord. I want us to think about generational grace. Now last week we looked at it as we considered in chapter 5 the grace of God in grace-guided marriages. And God's grace is able... <laughs> to bridge 
the gender gap in marriages. And we need to believe in a gender gap in marriages. But Jesus bridges that. But here we see the grace of God is able to bridge another gap, and that is what is often called the generational gap. But God's grace is able to bridge that gap as well. And so this morning, I want us to think about God's grace in the home, generational grace. And I want us to think about that based on what the Lord gives us here in this passage, Ephesians chapter 6, verses 1 through 4. Now, God desires, determines to share his grace with every generation. And as God shares his grace with every generation, he, in sharing his grace, listen carefully, shares his wisdom. And it is in following the revealed wisdom of God that we put ourselves in a place of grace. And so this morning, I want us to think about wisdom for the family. Wisdom for children, wisdom for parents. God's wisdom for children, listen carefully, of all ages. And God's wisdom for parents of all ages and all kinds. Wisdom for children and wisdom for parents. Now notice from what Fred read for us here in God's Word, we see, first of all, the Lord talks about His wisdom for children. God's wisdom for children. You know, there's an expression I hear from time to time, maybe you've heard it, get a life. <laughs> get a life. You ever heard that? Well, as I read this passage here, this is how the Lord tells children to get a life. A real life life. God gives his principles for children to know a life that really is life. And what are these two principles? God's wisdom for children. Let's notice them. First of all, verse one, there's the principle of obedience. The principle of obedience. Verse one says this, children Obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Now, just think about the audacity of the Apostle Paul to actually say something's right, meaning that something might be wrong. He's not relative here about right and wrong. And he says some things are right. And God says through Paul, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right right. This is right. Now, I want to encourage some of you, maybe many of you, not to check out. Because you say, well, I'm not, I'm not a little child, or I'm, I'm not a, at home anymore, but I want you not to check out so fast. Because you see, the, the verse here says, children, obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right. And the word child, for children here is the word technon. Technon. And it has literally the meaning of 
any child under parental authority. So it's not just talking about little kids, not talking about elementary children, but the word here means any child under parental authority. In Bible times, it meant this. It means if you're still under the roof. The idea is if you're under the roof, you're under the rule. Under the roof, under the rules. My dad used to have a saying of your legs under his table. (laughs) And he was very clear. About long as we were under his roof and our legs were under his table, we were going to do what he said. That's interesting. This is the only command in the scripture that is directed specifically to children. The only command in scripture that is specifically directed to children is this. Children obey your parents. And this word here now, obey, is an interesting word. It, 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 the word is literally this. The Greek word is hupo akuo. Hupo akuo. And it means to listen under. Akuo means to listen. We get our word acoustics from that. Hupa means to under. So children are said, commanded by the Lord to put themselves under the voice of their parents. Now, there's two important lessons we learn from this. When the Lord says, children, obey your parents, there's two very important lessons that he is sharing here. Let me give those to you. First of all, the Lord is teaching us this. Obedience is how children express the will of God. Remember, Paul is talking here in chapter 5, and it goes right through chapter 6. This is how you do the will of God. This is how you do the will of God, by the power of the Holy Spirit. He speaks to husbands, speaks to wives. Now he's speaking to children, and he says, You express my will by obeying your parents. This is my will for your life. You see, parents stand in the place of God's authority to their children. That does not mean that parents are God. That is absolutely false. But parents do stand to their children as representatives of his authority. And that should weigh heavily on the shoulders of any parent, grandparents, right? And so, how is it that children obey God? Children obey God in particular by obeying their parents because the parents stand under the authority of God and in authority to their children. So there's this lesson. Obedience is how children experience, express rather, the will of God. Secondly, obedience is how children experience the will of God. Remember, what does the word obedience mean here? It means to listen under. Children, obey your parents in the Lord. That is as to the Lord. Your responsibility to the Lord is to listen 
listen under your parents, to get under and listen to your parents because God will speak to you through your parents. This is how you experience God. Well, someone might say, well, what if the parents are not believers? What if the parents are not believers? Well, friends, listen, God is not limited to working only through believers. God is able to communicate his will, his desire, even through those who do not necessarily know him. So he says to children, obey me by obeying your parents. So this is the principle of obedience for children. But notice, now there's another principle here of God's will to children. Not just the principle of obedience, but the principle of honor. Do you see that in verse 2? The principle of honor. Honor your father and your mother. This is the first commandment with a promise. The principle of honor. Obey, listen carefully, refers to a child's actions. Honor refers to a child's attitude. And sometimes actions and attitude don't go together. I remember when I was growing up, there was a cartoon I enjoyed reading in the paper, and it was Dennis the Menace. Any of you old enough to remember Dennis the Menace, okay? Some of you Google Dennis, okay? He's out there somewhere, all right? He's there. And you remember regularly, Dennis would end up in the corner, sitting in the chair, and he'd have a teddy bear under his arm, and he's in trouble. And one time, Dennis is sitting in the corner in this cartoon, and he's talking over his shoulder, and he says, I may be sitting down on the outside, but I'm standing up on the inside. <laughs> Not necessarily honor there. Because you see that the attitude, the attitude is to be one of honor. Many believers, listen carefully, many believers seem to feel that they have outgrown their responsibility to their parents when they leave home. And my friend, this is true. Listen carefully. You are to obey your parents while you are under their roof, under their authority. And if you live long enough and move out, you will not be under the command always to obey your parents, but you will never outlive your responsibility to honor your parents. That is a sacred responsibility as long as they live and as long as you live. To honor is to show to respect, it's to value, to esteem. Not because they necessarily deserve it, but because it is a way, again, that you do the will of God, recognizing that God in his sovereign will 
gave you those parents and in respect and value of them to the Lord ultimately you honor them now how do we honor our parents well as I've said earlier children honor their parents first of all by obeying them You honor your parents by respecting their authority in the Lord and obeying them. As young adults, how do you honor your parents? You honor your parents as young adults by respect and cooperation in their counsel. Respect and cooperation in their counsel. Young people honor their parents and they help themselves as they listen to their parents' counsel. Now, some young people may say, but my parents are are so strict. Well, ask the question, why are they strict? Is that an expression of their lack of love for you? Or is that strictness an expression of their love for you? I remember again years ago. When I was just a young man, there was a commercial on television. Just gripped my heart. Helped me a lot. And the commercial was of these two teenagers... One, a little older teenager, on a motorcycle ride. The one on the front has a leather jacket. One on the back has a leather jacket. And after they've been riding that big motorcycle, the teenager with a leather jacket said, Hey, you got to let me off. i got to go home. And the teenager with a leather jacket laughed at him mocked at him called him mama's boy and the boy with the leather jacket walks up his sidewalk goes in the house closes the door and then the camera shows the face of the young man on the motorcycle and here's what he said I wish someone cared when I came home Listen to counsel. Listen to the counsel of your parents as you become a young adult. I've said many, many times, I was amazed how much my parents learned while I was in college. (laughs) I I couldn't imagine. It's like they were taking courses or something. How do you honor your parents as a child? By obeying them. As a young adult, by respecting and cooperating with their counsel. And you honor your parents as adults, listen carefully, by living an honorable life yourself. You honor your father and your mother by living an honorable life yourself. Perfect example we have of putting yourself under the voice of your parents. Being submissive to their God-given responsibility. Living a life worthy of them. The perfect example is our Lord Jesus. 
I mentioned this verse last week. I meant to hold it to this week, but I got ahead of myself a little bit. Very amazing verse of Scripture. Luke chapter 2, verses 51 and 52. You remember this? Jesus is 12 years old. He's in the temple. His family's come up for the Passover. They go back with the caravan to Nazareth. And after a few days, they recognize Jesus isn't with them. And so Mary and Joseph, no doubt other family members, come looking for Jesus. Mary and Joseph find him in the temple talking with the elders. And Mary rebukes him about how much concern he's brought to his father and mother. And he says, how is it that you were looking for me? Didn't you know I'd be about my father's business in my father's house? Now, what do we understand about Jesus in that moment? He's 12 years old, but he knows what about himself? He is the son of God. And what does the next verse say about the son of God who's just about to become a teenager? He went back to his hometown of Nazareth with his mother and father, and he was subject to them. He was submissive to them. Now, if there ever was, and there's only been one teenager who was a (laughs) know-it-all, Jesus was a know-it-all. He knew it all as the Son of God. But what did he do? He placed himself as the Son of God under earthly parents. My friend, if the only know-it-all teenager of all time could put himself under his mother and father, young people can do the same. He's the example. How do parents, how do adult children honor their parents? How do adult children honor their parents? By living an honorable life. Listen to these words from the book of Proverbs. The father of the righteous will greatly rejoice. He who begets a wise child will delight in him. Let your father and your mother be glad. Let who, he, her who bore you rejoice. <laughs> the greatest Mother's Day gift or Father's Day gift you could ever give is to live an honorable life. That's the greatest gift you could ever give to any parents, a godly life. How else do adult children honor their father and mother? One other way, let me tell you. Adult children, grown children, honor their father and mother by caring for them and providing for them. Caring for them and providing for them. One of the evidences of a moral freefall in our Culture is the way that elderly are sometimes neglected and sadly, tragically, sometimes neglected by their own children. 
My friend, listen, the Bible teaches us that caring for our parents is part of our faith. We live our faith out as we care for our parents and provide for them. Paul said to Timothy, the young pastor in Ephesus, he said this in 1 Timothy 5, 4. But if any widow has children or grandchildren, let them learn to show piety at home to repay their parents. For this is good and acceptable before God. What is he saying? You read the context. He says, those who are first responsible for the care of their elderly parents, grandparents, are their children and their grandchildren. It's not the first responsibility of the government. It's not the first responsibility of the church. The first responsibility for the caring of the elderly are those who profess faith in Jesus who are related to them. I read a story. Actually, it was a testimony of a man, a teacher named Stephen Freed. He was writing about taking care of his slowly deteriorating father. And one day next to his father's hospital bed, it just so happened his 15-year-old son was with him. And Stephen turned to his son and he said, what will you do if I end up like grandpa and here's what the 15 year old said I don't know dad but I'm watching you to find out I'm watching you to find out and I want to say this to some folks I know who are struggling in here right now and some that are watching because as I talk about parents it may be bringing back some terrible pain. It may be bringing pain up that's not in the past, but it's in the present in regard to your parents. I want you to know that showing love and kindness to those who have not shown love and kindness to you is the bondage breaker, is the path to freedom. It may not feel right. It may be difficult. But the way to get free from the abuse in your past is to embrace the greater power of the grace of God in Jesus Christ and his forgiveness of you. And pass it on. Amen. You'll free yourself. What a tragic thing it is to see people through the passing years in their 30s and their 40s and even their 50s and beyond who will not do anything to care 
show love, respect to ones who have disrespected and dishonored them in childhood. And friend, listen carefully. I can't imagine that kind of pain. But I can tell you what I have seen with my own eyes and know that many in this room could testify. You, through the grace of God, forgive those who misused you. You do good to them in Jesus' name. And you will set yourself free. And you'll know the power of the Lord. God's guidance to children, two principles and a promise. God's the great promise giver. He tells the children the principle of obedience. He tells the children the principle of honor. But then he gives the promise of life. The promise of life. Notice it says in verses 2 and 3, this is the first commandment with promise that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. What's the principle and the promise here? Children who obey and honor their parents are protected from the dangers of rebellion. Honoring and obeying your parents is how you protect yourself from the danger of rebellion. My friends, I want you to know, in 43 years of ministry, numerous times I have counseled teenagers about their rebellion. I've counseled them about their antagonism toward their parents and tragically, tragically many of them would not listen and many of them experienced tragic deaths, early deaths. Children are protected from the dangers of rebellion by Obeying and honoring their parents. And there's a promise here about not just the quantity of life, but the quality of life. Don't, make sure you don't misunderstand this. The Lord's not making an unconditional promise here. You honor in your father and your mother and you're going to live a long time. That, that's, that's not the type of promise this is. You see, it is a promise that Yes, if you honor your father and your mother, you will protect yourself from rebellion and the early death that can come from that. But it is also not just a promise about the quantity of life. Listen, it's a promise about the quality of life. A full life. What's more important than a long life? More important than a long life is not how long you live, it's how you live. Some people live decades and decades and decades, and they never really live at all. And some people who pass in their 20s and their 30s know the quality of a full life, living for God and living for others. And you've got to remember something about time, brothers and sisters. What is our lifetime 
Well, that's here on earth. What is that? That's just a little dash between two numbers on a headstone. But what did Jesus say? The one who lives and believes in me shall what? Never die. Amen. <laughs> Never die. I stood here yesterday afternoon and led the funeral service for our dear brother Mike Fisher. Who has passed. But he's more alive than any of them. He's not dead. Amen. He's alive. We need to remember that. Yes, there's sorrow when someone is not here. We understand that and our hearts grieve. But thank God, through Christ, they live. <laughs> they live. God wants all children to get a life. So he gives us wisdom for children. And he also has something to say to moms and dads. One verse here. Fulfilled life for moms and dads. Wisdom for parents. Listen to the wisdom from the only perfect parent. <laughs> the only perfect parent, God the Father. Perfect parent. Perfect environment for his first two children. They had some problems. <laughs> Listen to the Heavenly Father's principle for parents. How are parents to treat their children in generational grace? Number one, the principle of treasuring your children. Treasuring your children. God wants parents to express to their children that they are truly valued. Verse 4 Fathers, and the word fathers here does not just mean fathers as in dad, but it has the idea of parents. Do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. And he begins verse 4, he gives a word of warning. Do not push your children to the point of exasperation. That's what this word means. Parents, don't push your children to the point of exasperation. Sometimes parents, they sow the seeds of rebellion and exasperation in their children. Seeds of resentment. What are some of these seeds of resentment? How can parents exasperate their children of course, there's many ways, but can I just share a few with you? I think maybe some insights and some that are not just for me, but others who are much better able to share these. How do we exasperate our children? Number one, remember, we can exasperate our children by overprotection. No freedom at all. I understand. You just don't let your kids run loose. I understand this, but sometimes it is just so much overprotection that it's communicating no trust at all. We have to remember that fathering and mothering is not smothering. It's not smothering. That can exasperate a child, a young 
adult in particular. Secondly, we can exasperate our children by showing favoritism. You know the story of Esau and Jacob in the Bible? Favoritism from mom and dad involved in the root of that. We can exasperate our children also by unrealistic goals that we set for them. Trying to live our lives through them, we set unrealistic goals, almost demanding perfection. It is so hard for a child to live under that kind of expectation. I remember several years ago, Young man that attended our student ministry here. His mom came and dad came on occasion. He had a very high IQ, excellent student. Often I would see his mom out at one of the local businesses and she would talk about his grades. And you could just see how important that was to her. And one night the parents showed up on our doorstep and they were just frantic something was wrong with their son he wasn't behaving right and they had had to call for help and their teenage son was at Peninsula Hospital would I go and see him I never forget when I was permitted back in that room to be with that young man he was sitting in the corner with just a blank expression on his face. I could hardly get his attention. He, he was just shut down. And I was able to spend some time with him. He got care there, encouragement, and some rest. Because come to find out, he was studying and studying and studying and studying and he was being required once he got home to get a, something to eat and then it was expected that he would be in his room studying until at least 8.30 or 9 o'clock every night. And his mind shut down over it. It was just too much. Well, thank God the parents responded with wisdom in that and there was emotional healing and that young man has gone on to do great things. But there was an expectation put on him. It was just too much. As parents, we can have unrealistic goals. And that produces unrelenting pressure. And that can bring unendurable stress for our kids. Parents can exasperate their children by a lack of consistent boundaries. Constantly moving the boundaries. One day it's wrong to do this. The next day it's right. This day they're rebuked for it. This day it passes. Mom or dad's in a good mood this day. Here's the rules. Mom and dad having a bad day. Here's the rules this day. In reality, that just brings fear and frustration. Fear and frustration. You see, steadfast, consistent boundaries bring security. I read an interesting study one time. Uh, they did of children on playgrounds. 
and observed that the playground did not have a fence around it. The children would still play, but they would huddle toward the middle. And they would play close, very close in around teachers and others. But in playgrounds where there was a clear demarcation, there was a fence, the children would go further, further, all the way out. They would expand. Why? Because the fence brought security. We can enjoy this time because we know where the boundaries are. Well, friends, that's not just for playgrounds. That's for godly homes as well. Nobody is perfect at this, but seeking by God's grace to have consistent boundaries for your children brings security to their children. And then there's a failure to express affection. Exasperates children. Can you imagine? The child knows he will always be corrected. He will always perhaps be disciplined if he does wrong. But when he does right, she does right. She never hears encouragement. What does it mean to a child when their parents' hands are not known to them as hands that are going to pat them on the shoulder, put an arm around them, tenderly touch their face? It was a great painter by the name of Benjamin West. Amazing painter. He talks about how he became a painter. And he said that when he was babysitting once for his sister Sally, his mom was away, he discovered some different colored ink wells. And he decided to try them out. And he painted as best he could a portrait of his little sister. But he made a mess in doing it. And when his mom came home, she saw the mess. She picked up the piece of paper and she said, why, it's Sally. And she reached down, stooped down and took him by the face and kissed him. And Benjamin West said this. Here's what he said in his journal. I became a painter by my mother's kiss. I became a painter by my mother's kiss. Children need to know they're treasured. They're treasured. And God's guidance, notice, this is part of the guidance. Don't provoke your children to wrath. That's a negative. But bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. You see the phrase there, bring them up? That's the same word in chapter 5, verse 29, where it tells a husband to nourish and cherish his wife. It's the same word. Nourish your children. Encourage your children. It means gentleness and kindliness. It means friendliness. It means a relationship. I'll tell you some terrible math, moms and dads. Here's terrible math. Rules minus relationship equals rebellion. Rules minus relationship 
equals rebellion. Rules are necessary, yes. But they are an expression of nourishing and cherishing. And of a personal relationship. The principle of treasuring, the principle of training. What does he say? He says, bring them up in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. Notice here the word for discipline is the word paideia. Paideia. We get our pediatric from that. There's actually a school here in the area called paideia. It's a strong word. It means training and discipline, structure, discipline, not abuse, but guidance and direction in the training. A loving parent sometimes must be involved in correcting their child's behavior. Why? Because God does that. Parents who say, I just can't discipline my children, you are saying something that in a reality is ungodly. Because God disciplines his children. Hebrews 12, 11. For the moment, discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. But later, notice, but later it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. The word trained there is the same word, paideia. Trained by discipline. It produces righteousness, a right kind of living. It produces peace, he says, security. Undisciplined children will be insecure. Why? The Bible says, whom the Lord loves. He what? Disciplines. It's an expression of love to correct your child in the right way. A parent's guidance, guide by treasuring your children, guide by training, and then guide by teaching. Teaching. Bring them up, notice, in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. Instruction. The word there for instruction is nuthasia. Nuthasia. It's two words. It means mind and to place. So what is instruction? What's God saying? Instruction is to place truth before the mind of someone. There's a kind of counseling, a biblical counseling. Nuthetic counseling to place truth before the person being counseled. Let me tell you, if you're not receiving truth from God, you're not receiving Christian counseling. The counselor may be a Christian, but you're not receiving Christian counseling unless that person is placing before you the word of God. That's what parents are to do. Place the word of God before your children. How do you place it there? Set them down and say, okay, let's go through it. No, you place it before them by your words, by your example, by relationship. 
It, it's disciple making. How do you make disciples? You got to have someone who's intentional about it. Someone who is relational and has a missional goal for that person. What is a parent to be? Intentional. I'm the discipler of these children. I'm intentional about this. I'm, I'm going to be relational with them. I'm going to have a relationship. So as I teach them, and my goal is that they will be on mission for the Lord someday. I love what God said about this to parents. Deuteronomy 6, verses 6 to 7. These words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them to your children diligently. How shall they teach them? You will teach them as you sit in your house. As you walk by the way. As you lie down and as you rise up. What's he saying? It's not, it's not, hey kids, class is in session. No. As we're walking, as we're sitting in the house together, and as we rise up and get going, and as we lie down at night before we go to sleep, we'll just talk about these things of God. It's, it's lifestyle teaching from parents. <laughs> I thank God my father, who did not come to know Jesus until I was about 10 years old. He was in his early 50s when he came to know the Lord. But I'm telling you, he came to know Jesus. And he never once sat me down to teach me the Bible. He never once sat me down to say, hey, I'm going to instruct you. But I want to tell you, my dad constantly was talking about what the Lord was showing him and he was constantly talking about how good God had been to him. Amen. It's just constant. It just, it just came out. I mean, me and my brothers, Lonnie, we used, to, we used to joke about it. Sometimes you'd be in the car and dad's talking to you. And the next moment he's talking to Jesus. <laughs> I love what the president of Southeast Seminary says. President of Seminary. You know what he says? To parents, have fun and talk a lot about Jesus. <laughs> That's Dr. Danny Aiken. I love that kind of prescription. Have fun and talk a lot about Jesus. You know, this week... My men's group, we're sharing some texts back and forth. We have men's group on Tuesday morning. Matter of fact, men, there's three of them on Tuesday morning. Getting ready to be a third one. You're interested. I lead one. But one of the men texted this. Listen carefully. To be to my wife and son what Jesus is to his church drives me to my knees and compels me to stand. And I just texted back, amen. To be to my wife and son what Jesus is to the church, that's chapter 5, 
It drives me to my knees and compels me, though, to stand. What's the challenge? Make your family a matter of prayer. Make amends. Make amends. Ask forgiveness. Forgive in Jesus' name. And make room. Make room in your life for your children. Time with them. Make room in your life for other children. Moms, dads, grandparents. Empty nesters. Make room in your life for other children. Especially, especially, make room in your life for those kids who may be overlooked. Nineteen ninety-five, Susan and I were praying about adopting a child from Romania. And so we made all the application process. And then in the early spring, they sent us a packet with a picture of a little boy in orphanage in Romania and said, would you like to adopt this little boy? So Susan and I looked at it. We, we had some prayer a little bit. <laughs> I'd come home to see it. She said, you've got to see this. And so I came back and I was in my study here. And I remember I got on my knees and I said, Lord, I need you to show us that this is the child. How do we know this is your will. We need to know this is your will. We're looking to you. And as I was praying, I just sensed in my heart, and it came to my mind, read where I had read that morning in Scripture. And this will make you feel better. I couldn't remember what I'd read that morning in Scripture. Okay? I couldn't remember. And I got up and I opened the Bible. And it was a Bible that was a little different translation. I didn't regularly use, but I'd used it that day. And I looked down and here was the passage I'd read that morning. God. God is a father to the fatherless, and he makes a home for the lonely. God is a father to the fatherless, and he makes a home for the lonely. And I want to tell you as you leave here today, friends, in your neighborhoods, everywhere, there's lonely children. Make room in your heart. God's a father to the fatherless. Makes a home for the lonely. And that's what the family of God is. We find family, a home for the lonely. In Jesus' name, let's find some more, right? Let's bring them in. We're not going to sing. 
I want to pray over you. Would you bow your heads, please? Thank you for listening. I know I've gone long. But I'm very grateful that you've listened. But the voice I want you to hear is not my voice. It's the voice of God. What is he saying to you? And I want to tell you, my friend, if you feel like you have no family, there is a family for you, a forever family in Jesus Christ. Because when you come to him in faith, regardless of your sin, when you come to Jesus, he takes you, receives you, brings you to his father's house, his family, and you become a child of God and a brother's sister with the Lord Jesus Christ. And I want to ask parents here, intentional, relational, missional, ask God to help you. He will. I speak to children, young adults. Honor the Lord by honoring your parents, coming under their voice. And then, as we go, ask God to make you a friend to the lonely. Maybe a father, a mother, a grandfather, a grandmother to someone lonely. Heavenly Father, what amazing grace to call you Father. Heavenly Father, dear Savior, Lord Jesus, blessed Holy Spirit, thank you for making us part of the family of God. And I pray for anyone here who does not have that assurance at the end of this service, they won't leave, but they'll come and talk to me or one of the other elders or one of our prayer people about having this settled. Lord, I pray for those that need to forgive. I pray that they will release in Jesus' name and they will be released. I pray for parents who've been, not been honorable to be honored by people in this congregation. And I pray, oh Lord God, that you'll send us out, make us willing like you, Jesus, to be a friend. Thank you that you were a friend to a sinner like me. Help us to be friends. And Lord, help us to be willing to be spiritual parents, grandparents, a big brother, big sister to some that may be lonely. Help us, O oh Lord God, to be family here indeed and help us to go in the name of the family of God. I ask this in Jesus' holy name and all God's people said, amen. amen, amen. God bless you, friends, for being here. Thank you. You're dismissed. If we can help you in any way, let us know. We'd be glad to pray with you. God bless you. You're dismissed.